Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Episode 68. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast with me, Mark Taylor. Today I'm joined by Jen Lumenlan and she's from the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. Um, and I've been involved with Jen in various ways um, through the podcasting world. But um, more recently, um, she's created a course um, about supporting your child and learning in school. And she very kindly asked myself and Peter Cancel to, to be on that and to be interviewed. And we had a great conversation about that. So I thought we'd bring Jen on and she can talk a little bit about our podcast and all the great value that she can offer from that perspective. Um, and also some of the course and all the learnings that she's done through there. So Jen, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So can we start with a little bit of, of background about you and, and how you got into your into your podcast and I know it's very research based so how your sort of mm-hmm. your research and that kind of thing has also impacted on that yeah and I should clarify right up front because your English listeners are going to be curious about my accent that I am English originally <laughs> <laughs> although I've been in the States for about 20 years now and I understand that it has rubbed off a little bit although I still sound English in my head <laughs> <laughs> yes. so yeah so I've been here for a long time uh, had a great life in California never thought I'd have a baby got pregnant by choice <laughs> actually and not by accident um was, n- was really never interested in being a parent but here i am with an almost four-year-old and after i i guess after my daughter probably turned about one i would read all the books about raising an infant and what you have to do to manage sleep and eating and all that stuff and then she she turned one 18 months ish and i realized that all of the tools i'd been using thus far weren't working anymore <laughs> and i needed a whole different <laughs> toolkit and i had had no idea where to start. And at the same time, I was seeing a lot of psychological research, and it's all very presented in a very clickbait way. If you just look at it online, um, it's, you know, look at what's this latest study saying, and, and I'm thinking, well, how do I know how this fits in the body of research that has already been done on this? Is this completely in opposition to that, or does it confirm what came before? And so I thought, well, Clearly, I have no parenting intuition whatsoever, but I have really good research skills. (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided to use the latter to close the gap on the former. And I actually ended up going back to school and getting a master's in psychology, basically, so I could be a better parent. And then got really interested in education after that and ended up getting another master's in education because I really do love (laughs) to learn. And I started the podcast because it just kind of seems silly that I was doing all this learning and not sharing it with anybody. And so it seems as though I've really struck a chord in some way because I think there's a real hunger out there for this information for somebody who will take a look at the science and try and understand what the science says, but also not be a slave to the science, you know, make sure to look at um, the the issues that science has related to bringing in bias and sampling bias and uh, all kinds of assumptions about the population that you're working with and um, making sure to probe those as well so that people can really understand how is this relevant to me and how do I want to use this information to make decisions about parenting. Fantastic. And and 
I, what I really love is the is the way so many of us in the podcasting world the podcast comes out of our love for what we're doing or our interest mm-hmm. for what we're doing and um and so it's the, it's the first time I've I've heard people just going back to school to get master's degrees in anything they're interested <laughs> in so I'm I'm, sort of, I'm thinking I'm quite like cooking maybe I should be going to culinary school or something just to start all those sorts of things <laughs> you could yeah I'm sure your family would appreciate it. I'm, I'm sure they would as well um so from from that sort of learning point that learning point of view and that study point of view I mean I I guess the biggest thing that you bring to your audience is the fact that most people don't have the time to do that and because you're sort of geared into that way of um, researching and learning already that that's a real asset for um, to be able to share with everybody yeah and honestly I'm I'm just as time strapped as everybody else (laughs) I I don't uh, I'm not superhuman but I I it's in my brain my brain is wired for this I love to learn and it's it's just something that I find enjoyable. You know, my husband's crashed in front of the TV on the couch and I'm writing podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I, I like to multitask. I like to be busy. I like to uh, bring, bring new information to light. So yeah, I love doing it. How exactly did the, the courses come about? Um, you sort of mm. said you had the research and, and, and you realized that people were interested and, and you could basically sort of put all those things together and sort of join all the dots together so why was it that you felt that creating a course for some of these things was actually going to be beneficial for people yeah and it's funny actually each one came out of a master's thesis so you're basically getting that research right. when, you, when you go through the course so my first uh, master's was in psychology focused on child development and my thesis was actually on what motivates children to learn and so I really wanted to dig deep and understand how do children learn what is the process that they go through and so um the the second one sort of followed on from that in the master's in education because I I basically built the entire course for my my education thesis. So what what I learned was that children and all people really learn best when they're learning about something that interests them. So if you think about how you learn and the last training that you took that was mandated for your job do you remember much about it? (laughs) Because I can tell you, I don't remember much about the last one that I had to take. And then think about something you needed to learn for yourself. And for me, that was a YouTube video on how to paint watercolor skies. I'm really getting interested in watercolors right now as well in my (laughs) spare time. And, uh, and I do remember that content and I can put it to practice. So it's really, I trace this process of curiosity about something through interest, through learning some very basic skills, which, which, sort of sets up a a low-level understanding that gives you enough information to be able to do some more learning. And that helps you to develop confidence. And then eventually you keep sort of going through this loopy process and you get to a place that's called flow, where you're sort of really deep into the learning process and you're getting feedback on what you're doing well uh, and it's it's in, inherent feedback. It's not somebody saying you're doing a good job. It's <laughs> it's uh, you're, you're seeing the limitations in what you know and, and you're going and filling those limitations and exploring them. And that's what we want learning to be like. <laughs> and so I found research that said all toddlers are curious, every single one of them. They all want to know why, mama, why, mama, <laughs> what is this? But by third grade, they just stop asking questions because what they have learned is it's the teacher's questions that are important. And the Mm. only questions they ask by third grade are, is this going to be on the test? Wow. And some aspect of clarification about how to do something that they've been told to do. And so to me, that just kind of blew my mind. And so 
I, I looked around at different models of schools and I discovered Sudbury schools, which is a model based on Summerhill in the UK or, or Sudbury Valley School in the US. And uh, it's very child led and the children basically get to do whatever they want, which sounds kind of crazy, but <laughs> it, it ends up establishing a lifelong love of learning. And there, there just isn't a facility like that close enough to me to make it workable. So I realized that homeschooling was going to be basically the only way that I could make this work. And so I spent a year researching that decision uh, as, as sort of a, a follow on from the master's thesis. You know, do I need to know everything my child needs to know before I start? Is it even legal where I am? How do they get socialized? Can they even get into college? All of those kinds of things. And so every time I would mention homeschooling my daughter to somebody, they would ask me the same questions, right. <laughs> <laughs> basically the same questions that I just asked you. And so I realized if everybody's asking the same questions, this is the kind of thing that can be turned into a course. So that my first course is on how to make the decision to figure out if homeschooling is right for you. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because it is that I, I always think it, it sounds idyllic, the fact homeschooling and um, mm -hmm. and the fact you have complete control and you've got time freedom in, in lots of ways and, and just your whole life is part of a natural learning process within whatever yeah. whatever form you want to do that in, um, in relation to how your, your life is actually working. Um, but then there are the real practicalities of how do we actually do that? You know, how, mm -hmm. do, how does the cost implication come in? You know, are there other people doing it? You know, am I, is my child going to be isolated? I imagine those are the sorts of things that people get to ask you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's all sort of encompassed in that course. But what I realized when I talked to people about it was some people would say, homeschooling sounds amazing. I would love to do it, but I just can't mm -hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason it is. It might be a financial reason. They have two parents working and one of them just cannot stop uh, or they, they can't reimagine their career in a different way that could enable homeschooling. Or some parents are just really committed to public schools for whatever reason it may be. And so what I ended up doing was as I was going through this master's in education where I was really wanting to fully understand the education system was thinking, okay, I can use this to support parents who are sort of interested in the model of interest-led learning, of child-led learning, and use that to support parents who are, are committed to public schools. And so some of the things I cover in that course are there's a lot of information on the, the research of the benefits of parental participation in education, which coming from a psychology background, it's really common to see research that says, yeah, this is this is correlated with that. that. And then you see other research that says, no, there's no correlation there. <laughs> <laughs> and so you end up trying to find some kind of middle ground. So it's it's kind of stunning, the research on parental participation in education, that it basically across the board says it is valuable. Parental participation in education is valuable but there are so many potential forms of participation on which one is best so we really dig into those deeply and a lot of it actually depends on the power structure in the school because it might seem to parents as though teachers have a lot of power <laughs> <laughs> but actually the, a lot of the, the power lies further up the food chain than that <laughs> yes yeah. so uh, the people who create the curriculum and the standardized tests actually end up wielding most of the power and the parents are sort of off to the side and I think there's a lot of unease among teachers who this kind of blew my mind teachers are never trained to interact with parents they just they're winging it <laughs> yeah, yeah I, no I can see that actually yeah, and that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense 
Yeah. And, and so I think parents really have this deep expertise in their own children. You are the expert in your children more than anyone else will ever be. And schools just don't really understand how to put that information to good use. So, um, so we, we cover how to, how to bring your participation and in a really productive way into the school environment. And on that topic, have you found that to be the best case? Because I've often found that sometimes teachers feel like you're either stepping on their toes or you don't really know what you're talking about or maybe you're suggesting they're doing it wrong or they could be doing it better. So how do you get that sort of real participation in sort of community cohesion feel? Yeah, I it really depends so much on the individual parent, the individual teacher, the individual child, the individual yeah, school. Sure. So it's it's sort of difficult to give blanket advice, which is why in the course we have a Facebook group actually that's linked and people can go and and post questions about this and the community can respond uh, in you know, have you tried this, have you tried that? Um, think about these angles as you're as you're initiating a conversation with the teacher. And so it, yeah, it's it's really based on the parent's style the the teacher's style and some teachers prefer to be contacted by email other teachers can't stand being contacted by email and want you to show up at school um so it's understanding your unique situation and how best to approach it based on whatever issue it is that you're having that you need to solve so i mean i have to say um in my personal experience, the, the one thing that I've realised in recent times, and I have mentioned this briefly on some of the other podcasts, um, our eldest child has been in hospital for quite a long time, and it's been it's been quite a traumatic time for us as a family, but in in lots of ways a very enlightening time because what it's given us is it's given us an insight or an insightfulness, I should say, really, of what is it that we need to happen today. You know, there is nothing mm-hmm. more important than your needs at this particular moment. You know from being do you need to go to school today or is it better to stay at home or if you are going to be in school what type of day is that going to look like and I have to say our two um, younger children the schools that they've been have been absolutely fantastic that particular kind of sense of we know you need support we've got something in place that can help you we can chat to you all that kind of stuff has been absolutely brilliant Mm -hmm. Um, but what I'm really interested in is the fact that I don't want people to be in crisis mode before you actually yeah. get that kind of that kind of <laughs> individual attention, you know, because actually yes. there's another child, you know, sat on, the, sat on the next table who probably needs that as well because they don't want to be sat in class for six hours. They actually want to be outside or whatever that individual kind of need is. Um, and actually, yeah. if we could find a way of doing that for everybody all of the time, I think there's there's some... Um, there's a much nicer way of learning in that particular scenario within the school system. I agree. That sounds lovely. And I, I'm not sure how much you've shared with your audience about your particular crisis situation. But yes, you are, you are right that I think the school district is rallying around you because of this particular crisis that your family has been going through. And I think it's important to recognize that there are plenty of other crises that aren't recognized as crises by the school district. And so I'm actually reading a book right now on uh, it's it's about a school in the Houston school district in in Texas, and the low academic achievement among Mexican American students, because they just don't feel as though they belong. They don't feel as though the teachers care about them. The school system cares about them. That they're going to be able to go to college at the end. Um, that that doing anything in school really has any benefit for their lives. Mm. And I would say that that is a crisis situation too but it's not recognized as such by the school district and so I hate to say that you're fortunate in this situation uh, because I think it's not really a great way of thinking about it but in some ways you are because you are the beneficiary of 
this this system coming to rally around you. And there are many, many other people and children in the system who are nowhere near as lucky. Absolutely. And and I, th- I think the, the other thing that it's made me realize is the fact that it's amazing how much power you feel you have when mm-hmm. it deems to be that important, you know. And, yeah. um, and, and I think if, if parents actually felt like, actually, it's not just another day, my child really needs this or my child really mm-hmm. needs that, and I'm going to go to the school and really ask it, I wonder whether actually they'd be surprised because I think a lot of the time when you're really concise and you really, as you said, you understand your child better than anybody and you Mm -hmm. can really articulate what it is they need and why they need it, often you get quite a good response back because at the end of the day, schools are trying to get the best out of the children for the children's sake and also for their own sake in this sort of day and age of funding and, and numbers and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think as, as, long, as long as you're concise and you really understand what it is that you're asking for with real purpose and real good reason, um, I think it can become a little bit more personalised in that scenario because, of mm-hmm. course, generally these policies are made as a whole and, of course, that's always been the problem. You know, it's it's there to sort of govern everybody. And, um, yeah. and, 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 and it's certainly one of the things that, um, the head teacher of um, Katie, our youngest, I've had before, has been the fact that um, I completely understand what you're saying, Mr. Taylor. Um, but you're the only person I've ever met that we're having this type of conversation. <laughs> Gen- generally speaking, they don't care, or you know, yeah. um, no one's ever thought of it like that before. Which, which I also understand as well. But the point is, is that it's your life as a parent. It's your child's life as they're growing up through school. So don't wait for there to be a crisis when you ask these questions. Actually, go and do it, and actually see what feedback you get back then and I think if, if if you can do that if you can find a way of doing that I think it really really will help yeah and certainly following on from that um, one of the things I've touched on before is certainly the idea of the story of the child both in terms of their family life and all that kind of thing but the sorts of things that they're really interested in and, and as you said at the beginning you know how have you experienced that idea of of creating the learning environment around things that they're interested in when you've got this sort of curriculum which is based for everybody mm-hmm. and how do you, how does that become a bit more personalized or do you think it yeah. can be yeah it can i just want to go back a minute to something you said about uh, the fact that you can take a concern to the school and express it and try and get them to address it I, I i agree i think you can but i also i just want to acknowledge that you have a certain amount of power in the schools just by benefit of who you are you're known as an interactive parent who who will bring concerns to the school you've had regular conversations with the head teachers at your children's school you're a member of the <laughs> his policy group on primary education yeah. um you have a lot of power. You have more power than many other parents do. And if we think about a parent from a different demographic background, for example, a lower socioeconomic status or a a different ethnic background, we might see that they may not have the choice to say, what's best for my child today? Can I keep my child off school? Uh, Chances are child protective services or the equivalent in the UK is not going to come after your family, but that's not the case for every family. Yeah, for sure. And so there's two different parents doing some Something that is very similar in the best interest of their child can get very different responses from the uh, bureaucratic system. So, so I just want to acknowledge that and and just say yes, your your job is to advocate for your child, but it can be a very a, a much more difficult thing to do for some parents than for others. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. Um, but but going forward onto the, I think what you're basically asking is how do I 
make sure that my child retains a lifelong love of learning when they're being taught using a standardized curriculum and, and have to pass standardized tests. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so that sort of gets to the heart of what the second course was about, is is supporting your child's learning in school. So, so yes, that's about understanding the power systems, but it's also about a real balancing act. And, and how do you walk this tightrope of supporting your child of doing well in school, which basically means doing well on standardized tests which means memorizing a lot of information of questionable use and because somebody tells you to do it. <laughs> and, and on the other side of that, you're trying to help the child maintain some kind of intrinsic motivation to learn what's interesting to them. And you want them to learn how to learn rather than just have someone say, read page 42 through 57 and write a summary. And so there's, we spend a lot of time in the course on this. And of course, all this is easier when you're homeschooling because you don't have to balance. There's, you don't have to do the standardized testing. So, um, so I think the pieces of potentially reforming schools to make this easier are there, but it hasn't happened because there's too much power invested in the current system. So what I aim to do is to have parents bring out as much as they can uh, of what school reform might look like if it, if it were to happen <laughs> and just kind of do that for themselves. So, um, so we know that children become really deeply invested in learning when it's relevant to their interests and needs, and particularly when it's what's known as place-based learning, when it's something that's relevant to their life, to um, their local park or places where they spend time. And we know they struggle to learn when somebody else determines what they have to learn and that when you provide extrinsic motivators to learn like grades, like standardized tests, that it decreases children's willingness to learn for the sake of learning. So how do you, how do you balance those things? Well, a lot of it is figuring out how do I support my child in learning what they're interested in learning outside of school? So if my child has a particular passion, how do I nurture that so that they really become a deep expert in that topic if that's what they want to do and they feel confident and comfortable sharing that knowledge uh, with other people who are also probably experts in it and, and really maintaining this intrinsic motivation to learn so they know how to do it even though they also have to do this rote memorization for school. And I and I think that's the that's the real key at the moment. And and I think a little bit that's helped me in in recent times with this, is is the fact that if you can put yourself just one step removed and realise that school is just an invaluable tool for learning, <laughs> you know, it's yes you have to go and yes you have to do it, but it's only a tool. You know, it's a mm -hmm. great way to learn to read and write. It's a great way to build up social understanding. You know, plus all the really great things that you do learn within school, but it's only one facet of your ability to learn and like you say if your if your interest happens to be something where you can find out a lot of information on youtube or or, mm -hmm. or there's a community group where you can learn you know um outside of school then actually from there you can keep that passion going and see that the things that you're learning in school can support that in some way i think the hard thing for lots of people is the fact that you're one you're in school for a lot of your life you know a lot yes. of hours <laughs> of, of each day which which is really hard and also you're being told the same thing over and over again by people that you um you respect and people that you have to you know obey in lots of ways you know that's the whole mm -hmm. way the school system is actually put in and and that those are two really key things. So it's really difficult to do. But I think supporting children to understand that it is what it is, but actually 
if we can guide you like you said and that's the real parenting job i think you know i can support you in this area because i know you like this this is important and we'll do it as the best we can but let's not lose too much sleep over the fact that maybe that particular quadratic equation that you need to now learn at the age of seven isn't necessarily (laughs) going to make that much difference (laughs) or however that happens to me um yeah and and I think I think that's that's a really key perspective. But like you say, that's easier said than done in lots of scenarios. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when we talked the last time when when I interviewed you for the course, you said that you had had a conversation with one of your children about a school project, and said, you know, let's let's make a decision together on how much effort you're going to put into this. It may, it may be that this is not the be all and end all project of your academic career and that enough effort is enough and you don't have to go the extra mile and get an A on everything because that will allow us to have some family time that's also important to us. And so being able to to make those decisions, I think, or to, to just be aware that you can make those decisions without necessarily jeopardizing your child's ac- entire academic future. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Really yeah, absolutely. And and it re- and it really is just the the idea that actually you're at the centre of your world. You know, despite mm-hmm. these things that you have to do, you know, you are at the centre of your world. And um, understanding that this particular week, this is going on or that's going on, and actually not everything needs to be the same. You know, and yeah. uh, and and I think that really is a really important part. You know, if it happens to have been you've had lots of late nights because I mean. In, in my world, for example, as a musician, you know, I often am doing shows, I'm getting in very late. My understanding of knowing what I can achieve the next day is different than when I'm not doing a show and I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. and, and from a child's point of view, that's the same. You know, if you've just been doing an awful lot of difficult stuff or maybe they've um, been doing a project which has meant they've had a slightly later nights, then you need the time off to balance it up or what, what, whatever the, the, um, the, the takeaway is or the, the, the give and take within these scenarios is just to say, what is it that I truly need in like I like you demonstrated there you know how much effort do I need to put into this in order for it to support my life rather than just having to do x because I'm told so and that's really I I guess it's really you know supporting children to actually to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it and um, and from there they make a really good conscious choice about how they where how they want to show up at school and also in what they're doing and I think that's probably the best way of thinking about it yeah and show up for their lives as well so yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. that's a great way of putting it in a lot of ways i think we're we're really challenging the way that education is done because it's it's we tend to think of it oh this is just the way it's done you know the government says this is how it's going to happen and so that's how it's going to happen and so i was reading alison gopnik's book recently the gardener and the carpenter she's a professor at uc berkeley university of california berkeley and she says if we taught baseball the way we teach math we would start by studying tiny elements of the game and the rules and then we would have children reproduce classic plays (laughs) (laughs) and then when you actually had graduated college and had a postgraduate degree then you would actually start playing (laughs) (laughs) and so in japan by contrast students learn at the beginning of elementary school that math isn't just these tiny little building blocks but you can use it to solve problems which is sort of a revolutionary concept in how (laughs) math is taught in in the quote western world because we don't teach students how to solve problems until much later the it's in in japan the students are coming up with hypotheses on how to solve a problem and then the teacher leads a whole class discussion to compare the approaches and solutions whereas we tell children this is how you calculate two plus two this is how you multiply (laughs) and japan outscores the u.s by 60 points and the uk by 40 points on the international standardized pisa tests so i mean it is amazing isn't it i'm 
the um, episode um, 66 while chatting to um, Dr. Tony Yu the other day, um, it was called uh, Rehumanising Primary Education. And, mm. it, and, it, and it was all about, you know, teachers understanding the story of children. It was all about the fact that actually putting the arts and the more creative things back in and actually children that may be deemed to be struggling in maybe maths and English as that's the focus at the moment giving them more to do doesn't actually help actually having a broader idea of things actually is really important you know having the community being involved in everything that's going on and actually just having he talked about it in a really nice way of sort of like a um, a ramble through life experiencing lots of different things rather than it Mm -hmm. being a race to the end or a race to the sats or exams and and all of that kind of thing I thought that was a really critical absolutely (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a really sort of nice a nice sort of way of putting it but the the, the one thing that struck me was the the idea that he said there's He's really glad that actually we um, children learn to talk before they get to school because if we try to teach children how to talk in the way mm-hmm. we teach them everything else, then no one would ever learn anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you did mention earlier that that uh, school is a great place to learn reading and things like that, and yes, it can be for <laughs> for the average child, and especially for the child who's slightly ahead of the curve and picks things up easily. But for the child who's behind and isn't developmentally ready to start reading when school tells them they need to be ready to start reading that creates some real problems because information is going to start to be presented through reading because it's convenient for the school and convenient for the teacher not because it's convenient for the child so um so yeah that that can create a real problem but what i loved about what you said about the the guy that you just interviewed it reminded me of a concept in the reggio emilia approach to early childhood education which is based in a town in italy and they call it uh, the hundred languages of children And it's the idea that children have, and it's not a literal hundred items, but it's an infinite number of ways that children can express their knowledge and their learning. And we focus on just one or two in schools and that by adding back the arts and the music and all those kinds of things, you're giving them other languages to use when maybe they're not so skilled at the the math and the reading um, and, and they still need a way to express themselves. I think that's brilliant. And, and it really is that kind of understanding of that we're all different. And that there's a there's a great picture, and I can't remember who it's by, but it comes up every year on my um, social media feeds of <laughs> of um of we're 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 gonna we're gonna um. Oh, let me think about this. It's basically a picture of uh, like an elephant, um, a snake, uh, a monkey. There's, there's a whole selection of animals, and we're gonna make sure that this test is absolutely fair. And I want you to climb this tree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's absolutely brilliant and i must make because every time i talk about it i think i must find out exactly who it's by and what it's from but it, but, uh-huh. but 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 you get the idea and it's that kind of yeah. yes if you're the elephant you think you failed already you know and it's that yeah. kind of and you um, haven't even started yet you just look at the tree and you abs- know you've failed <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it's such a it's such a such a key thing and it just really makes me smile because i just think yeah that's exactly it you know find what you're interested in find what you're good at find what's going to work for you and like you say then your passion will go and you'll see the flow of of where you want to go and that's certainly been my experience as I've learned as an adult as well all the things that I've needed to do so let's t- take it back to your your podcast it- itself and um and how does that format kind of work what is it that you does that work through the courses that you've done or is it is it um does it take other um explanations for other themes and other ideas 
Yeah, the podcast mostly focuses on issues related to child development. Um, things like, is self-esteem really worth having? And it turns out, no, it's not. <laughs> There's a whole podcast episode on that. Um, I'm working on one on gratitude right now and how that develops. And so th those kinds of topics. And so ultimately, what I hope to do is to bring all this together, because I think there's a real focus on child development early in a child's life. And then we kind of switch to thinking about learning once they get to school age. Mm -hmm. And I really see them as much more intertwined throughout the child's life. The child is always learning. The child is always developing. And so what I ultimately hope to do is to bring all these threads together. But in the meantime, I have a, a library of 60 plus episodes on child development <laughs> available right now for free that anyone can go and listen to. Um, and you can find that at yourparentingmojo.com. And if you are interested in homeschooling <laughs> well basically if your child is is not yet at of school age or if you're in the lower elementary grades is is what the course is geared towards and it's basically designed to help you think through could i really do this um, from, from all facets of how to make that decision. And so you can find information on that. Every, everything I do is accessible at yourparentingmojo.com. If you're specifically interested in the courses, you can do a forward slash courses at the end. And then if you click through the, the homeschooling course, there's actually a free seven question quiz that you can take to assess your initial readiness. And that returns personalized results to you via email um, based on your specific situation and your location and that kind of thing. And if your child is not yet of school age or is in the elementary grades again and, and you see basically if you see some kind of potential for trouble, if you see your child is the kind who doesn't like to sit still or they're especially sensitive or you just can't understand how the school system is going to work with your child, <laughs> then that course is for you. And so um, if you're on the lower end of the age range, there's actually a free infographic on 11 things you can do to support your child in learning math without standing in front of them with flashcards. <laughs> um, they're more appropriate for the younger ages, um, but but people who have children through approximately elementary school age would, would potentially find that course useful. So, Fantastic. And that really just sums it up, really. There's the, the podcast, like I say, with 60-odd episodes now, which is just... I, I love listening to it because it's just that kind of... <laughs> I just wish I had the brain capacity to understand all that research and also you know, to be able <laughs> be able to broadcast it and share it in the way that you do, which is which is, is riveting. It, I find it so interesting. The, riveting, the way that it wow. Works I'm not sure anyone's ever described yeah. it to be in that word before. People say they love it and they find it interesting. Nobody has ever said it's riveting. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, the way you, it's the way you bring it across with, with, with all that understanding. I, I think that's that's really great and and as you said the, the the two courses as well which which is so important for people i think especially at that particular age of where are we going to go from here how are we going to make these mm -hmm. decisions and uh, yeah. and yeah so yourparentingmojo.com is the place to go and um and and i hope you get um the most out of all the free resources through the podcast and and, and make the most of the courses if you feel that's the way you need to go so Jen thanks so much for joining me it's been really lovely chatting to you again and um and I wish you well with the the rest of the podcast and also I can't wait for I would imagine it must be some kind of large volume book that you'll come out with with all the, all the work that you've been doing when you tie all these things together yeah there's no book in the cards yet but we'll we'll see <laughs> I wouldn't want to predict that far ahead thank you Mark that was a lot of fun thanks very much Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, 
and the lighting of the fire.